Would you join me by turning not to the letter of James, but instead earlier on in the New Testament to the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one of the black Bibles that are in one of the chairs in front of you. We'd love for you to take it and keep it. If you don't own one, take it, put your name in it and use it. And boy, we bought those for you to use. If you don't have a Bible here and it would thrill us for you to take that and and make use of it. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Thank you, Dan, for leading us to God through prayer. I wonder what you think about Sunday mornings. I bet some of you really look forward to them. Others of you might embrace them as a duty. That's not a bad thing. It's a duty. I need to go to church. I just know I need to. Some out of mere obligation might come to Sunday morning services. Some of you view them as a time to come sporadically. Some church going to a Sunday morning gathering with kind of a legalistic or a superstitious thought to think if I come this Sunday, God will bless me in a better way this week or he'll like me more. Some of course, and I'm sure there's none here this morning that would view things like this, but view Sunday morning as another weekend where attending church is, eh, it might be your default option, but Many other things get in the way, like birthdays, family events, sports, vacations, and they keep you away often. Some view it as a time for spiritual intake, feeding, food for the soul. Some come for the music, and they zone out during the preaching. And then some come in spite of the music, and they come for the preaching, I'm sure we can all find ourselves in different places, in different categories, a little here, a little there. We call it going to church. In some ways, that is what we're doing, and in other ways, that's not what we're doing. We are going to church when we gather on Sundays in this building because when we gather to worship in Jesus' name, it is one of the most foundational things that we do As a church, we assemble. That's what the Greek word for church means, the assembling of God's people in Jesus' name. And in other ways, when we say we we don't call this going to church because we know that we are the church. The church is not a building. It is a people that live out that being the church all the time, every day of the week. Yes, we are the church, the members of Christ's body assembled on Sundays to do something really special that this morning is meant to impact each one of us. The early church called Sundays the Lord's Day. It was the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the first day of the week. It was for 2,000 years Christians have gathered or assembled together to sing and read scripture and give thanks and to pray and to take communion and baptize and listen to the word of truth being taught all in the name of Jesus Christ. So that Paul would write to the Corinthians and he says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that this morning. We are assembled in the name of Jesus Christ, and I pray that it will be with the power really important for every one of our spiritual health this morning. And I, want, I entitled my sermon this, Sunday Morning Changes Everything. And what I mean by that, Sunday morning when we gather to corporately worship, that word corporate worship I don't want to assume you know what I mean by that. I mean corporate worship is the time in which we formally, officially gather, usually on Sunday mornings, to worship God through the songs and through sermon and through prayers and Lord's Supper and for members' meetings, and we do that all in the name of Jesus. And I'm afraid that the 
not just faith church, you, but I'm afraid that Christians in our, in our country do not value corporate worship like we ought. And we don't view corporate worship like we ought. And because of that, we do not practice and prioritize it like we ought. And because of that, we do not live spirit-filled, mature, fruitful lives. Our marriages suffer because we do not view Sunday mornings like we ought. Our parenting suffers because of a wrong way in which we view our parents' teens. Your relationships, young people, suffer with your mom and dad because of our attitudes about this time right now. I believe that it is this time right now in which God uses uniquely to transform us by his Holy Spirit. Not, this is not the only time, but this is a special time in which the Holy Spirit works on Sunday mornings in time in which we gather as redeemed sinners that are saved by his grace, young and old, new and old, new and old rich and poor, single and married, all together as one body in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, and I would say that this gathering right now and the gathering in the, of the village in Byron right now and the gathering in Fenton and Flint and, and gatherings in Holly and all over the world, these are the most important gatherings in the universe. I, I mean that. That's not, you, you might say, Daniel, that just sounds like maybe a hyperbolic statement by a pastor who wants you to go to church more. It's an exaggeration. And not just going to church, but with what I want to challenge you to, a new kind of mindset and preparedness can make all the difference in this body and in your soul and in your family to the glory of God and by His grace. I mean prepared mindset of reliance on Him. The text that I want to share with you is from Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. It is a text that I want, that I want to point to you hit me with great weight and conviction when I was in Cameroon just a month earlier. I was sitting in a pastor's conference, sitting right next to Brian, and he was, and Didune Tomfu was preaching in English, and he had a French translator, and I was taking notes, and I was tired because I had just taught through a translator for two hours, and I was sitting there, and he was teaching on this passage right here, and as he was teaching, and I'm sitting next to Brian, this, this truth was kept hitting me in new ways. I had never seen this text this way for me as a pastor and for us as a congregation, and I was challenged and I was moved by some of the implications of this text in such a way that I felt so shaken and moved that that from that Sunday I said, I, I need to teach this to this congregation. I, I need to pray that God would make this reality so real and valuable to our lives. Would you look with me at, at Ephesians 5.18? There are some points from it. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See it there? See verse 18? Do not get drunk with wine. He says, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The command, number one, is don't get drunk with wine. Uh, don't be controlled by alcohol. Or, And I think we could apply this. He's not just meaning that, but he takes alcohol as something that people, even in his time and even today, are controlled wrongly by. And he says, do not... Be controlled by anything, any substances or anything else that would control you. Now, in the scriptures, alcohol is not forbidden drink for Christians, but it is a drink that can be used in a way that is strongly forbidden, and that is getting drunk. 
But the point that he wants to make is to turn from the prohibition, do not be drunk with wine, to the next phrase, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And he means the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. It is God's will for us to be a people that experience the gracious filling of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be filled with and by the Holy Spirit? You might say, well, sure, I want my pastor to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want the pastors and the leaders and the deacons that make more decisions. I want the, the spiritual, mature saints in our church to be filled with the Spirit. Do you want to be filled? Do you need to be filled by the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead needs to fill us. He is the person who fills us with something. Who is He fills us with the fullness of Jesus Christ. He fills, when the Holy Spirit fills us, He fills us with Jesus Christ's faith in Him and the fullness of God that Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 3, which we're not going to go there this morning. I want you to ponder this as we think about this morning, to be filled with the Spirit means to have your life controlled not by our fleshly desires or the wine of this world, the desires that are naturally in us, but by the Lord Jesus Christ every moment of our day and including this morning. To be filled with the Spirit is to have the mind of Jesus Christ in us And so that the peace of Christ is reigning in our hearts towards one another in this world that is full of hostility. To be filled with the Spirit is is the only way we'll bridle our tongue. As James told us in James 2, or James 3. To bridle our tongue and even the whole person. So that our words are reflective of the words that come from God to others, giving blessing and life and reproof and healing and correcting and the truth in love. To be filled with the Spirit is to have love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and kindness and mercy. Or like last week's sermon, it is to have the wisdom that's pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruit and impartial and sincere. To be filled with the Spirit is to have members in this church having wisdom and insight where you, like in a way that you'd never seen before, you know that God loves you and he has, and you have an incredible future because of Jesus Christ. Even if it means trials every day of your life here and suffering, you have an incredible future and it's like so filling your heart because the Holy Spirit is doing this and that he has given you a power that's from above that is just unbelievable. The very same power that raised Christ from the dead. To be filled with the Spirit is to have a sense of that in your life. To be filled with the Spirit is to have Husbands, so live in a way that they glorify God, that they love their wives as Christ loved the church, not only when their wives are lovable, but when she is much more like the real church, often needing mercy and forgiveness and grace. To be filled with the Spirit is when wives so have the mind of Christ and so know that Jesus loves them and will never let them go and protect them, that they can truly submit to their husbands as unto the Lord and show respect to them even when they're not being very honoring as 1 Peter instructs them as they live in in devotion to Jesus Christ. To be filled with the Spirit is when Our teenagers are not marked by the rebellion that their age, usually everyone's accustomed them to having. But our young teenagers and even children 
honor their parents for the Lord's sake. They obey their parents in the Lord because the Lord has loved them so much that even when mom and dad aren't being that wise, they think it doesn't matter because they know God is really wise when they told them to honor him. Friends, this is the only way that in word or in deed we can do all to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit? It will not mean that we'll start speaking in tongues in this church or running around touching people and they'll get healed. I don't think that's what it will, but it will mean that our touch to one another will be different. Our daily touch with someone in this room and with your children and with your spouse and with your parents and with your coworkers and with your neighbors and with your fellow students will be different because it won't be coming from your selfish desires and flesh, but from something that happens within your heart that's of God of which you thank Him for. This phrase says, but be, you be filled with the Holy Spirit. This phrase is unique. We, can't, we don't see it in our English ESV Bibles. It just says, but be filled with the Spirit. But this verb, be filled, first of all, is a plural for word that it says, you, all of you, not just one individual by yourself with your own Bible while you're sitting in your car listening to Chris Tomlin or Caleb or whatever it is, but you all as a congregation, he is addressing a church and he says, you all be filled with the spirit, all of you, that's plural, and he's saying, be continually, it's a present verb, be continually filled, not just one time when you got saved, but you continually, ongoingly be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's something even more unique. It's a passive verb. You have filling be done to you. That's not something you, you cannot fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit needs to fill you, and yet he gives it as a command. You be filled, you have something done to you. How do you have something done to you? You can't fill yourself with the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit. And yet he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. He gives us a command that's impossible for us to do. And some might say, no, no, you just have that wrong because God would never give us a command that's impossible to do. He does it all the time. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. It's impossible for you to do that from the heart. It is impossible for you to do it for the right reason and in absolute reliance upon God apart from his grace. It is, a par it is impossible for sinners who are dead in their sins, to see Jesus like he really is, to repent of their sins and trust in. It's an impossible command. And he tells us to do it all the time. And he meets that impossible command with his power. You can't do it yourself, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet we need to read further. It should humble us to know we can't do it ourselves, but we need to read further and see what he shows us. And Paul, in the following verses, 19 through 21, he gives us these phrases that are, are rich. It's one long Paul-like sentence. Paul does this all the time in his letters, long running sentences. And he gives us in there, you don't see, if you have an NIV Bible, you don't see it there. NIV is a good translation. We use the ESV the ESV helps us a little more see this. He gives us five participles. You say, what is a participle? Pastor Daniel, I'm not good at grammar. Never was. The participles are I-N-G ending words. And you see them in your ESV version there. He gives us five. He says, addressing one another, singing 
and making melody. There's, there's two more, singing and making melody. That's two more. They're actually grouped together. I'm going to group them as one. Giving thanks. And then you see in verse 21, submitting. So there, there are four main ideas. So just after he gives us an impossible command, be filled with the Spirit. You know, I think that it, the Spirit is here. The Spirit has been working in you. But if it's even more, we will go, praise God and the world will see and not praise us, but we'll want Jesus more. But in this passage, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, doing these things. And he gives us these four phrases. And I want to bring them to you because I think that these are at the heart of what a Spirit-filled church, individuals and individuals coming together as one body will look like and how we pursue it. I think it's both. You want to say, how do I pursue being filled with the Spirit? You better not neglect these four things. And what will it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Look at these four things. Let me share with them you in four different ways, four phrases. Number one, or Spirit-filled churches sing to others the gospel. Spirit-filled churches sing to the Lord because of the gospel. Spirit-filled churches give God thanks in all things because of the gospel. And four, spirit-filled churches submit to other, to submit ourselves to others from the gospel. Let's look at that. Number one, spirit-filled churches sing to others the gospel. I think this was the phrase that probably listening to DNA preach on this passage to pastors into my heart. Look at verse 19, verse 8, 19a. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. A spirit-filled church gathers to sing with an audience. And there are two audiences. When you come on Sunday mornings, you are to come to sing to two general audiences. And the first audience this passage mentions is the audience of one another. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do you realize that one of your jobs to do on a Sunday morning is to gather, to gather to come and to sing, it says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs which I think all kind of overlap, and I think that means songs that are consistent with the psalms and in Scripture to sing the psalms. We sang the psalms this morning. Psalm from one, we saw a song that was inspired from Psalm 139. We sing hymns that speak of God and His grace and of the gospel. We're going to do more of that in a little bit. In a little thing, addressing one another. This word addressing is the word for speaking. Every time Paul uses this word in the letter of Ephesians, he is talking about speaking the truth of the good news, the gospel. We are to speak the truth to one another with our lives. He uses that elsewhere in his other letters, and he's referring to the good news of the gospel. That's why I say one of our jobs is to come on Sunday mornings and sing to each other the gospel. Spirit-filled churches gather with this job to do. Friends, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Sunday by Sunday, you have a job. Don't think it's just the pastor's job to lead a service or Pastor Jay's job to lead the singing. It is your job to come, to come with a prepared mindset that you're, you are coming to address one another. You are to prepare yourself to sing the gospel to the people in this room. You are to sing the gospel to your spouse and to your children and to your parents and to your friends and to your fellow members, to those whom you, who are visiting this morning. You are gathered to speak to others through song, he says, addressing one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. It clearly say this, the content of these spiritual songs and hymns would be Songs that are singing the good news, his promises, his character, truth about him. He says we are to address with psalms, hymns, 
This, we the leadership, Pastor Jay, myself, the elders, we want to grow in the songs that we select in order not to fit our preferences, though we want to take those in consideration at times. But songs that we select are in order to help us sing faithfully the gospel from old selections that have been sung for centuries or even a century or 50 years and songs that have been written just recently. Songs not merely to appeal to one age category, whether it be their the contemporary youth of our day, or to those that are elderly, but songs that will reflect all eras, but be faithful to God's word and uplifting and singable to our hearts so you could sing them here on a Sunday morning and then you could sing them in your house and you could sing them at a hospital bed and you could sing in a hospice care unit. Songs. But I want you to notice, we are called, I, just, I want us to be blown away by this, this idea when you unique job, and that is to, to sing to one another. It might seem really odd for us to stand around and then just start looking around. I do that, and I have people tease me about that sometimes. I, because I just want to see you, and I want to sing to you, and I want you to sing to me. Because there, there are times when you're going to sing to me, and I'm going to need it, because I'm going to be discouraged as a pastor and not ready when my heart is not yet full to preach. And I'm going to need you singing to me, addressing me with the truth. What if every Sunday you came and said, okay, one of my jobs, among many other things, is I'm going to come. I'm going to find out the songs that we're going to sing ahead of time. I want to, I want to look at them. And I want to think about them a little more so that when we're here, I'm singing these to my kids. I'm singing these to the other teenagers in this building. I'm singing these to the, as a teenager to my parents. I'm singing these to others in the congregation. I'm singing to the brokenhearted widow. I'm bringing to the widower, to the divorcee. I'm, I'm singing this to the single, lonely single. I'm single, singing this to the, the one that's not sure if he's even a Christian, but he's here this morning. I want to sing that to them. Let me share some of the things that we are meant to sing to each other and we've done through the years. We, We gather and we're standing and we turn to each other. We're singing and we're singing, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We sing to each other things like this. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our Redeemer's blood. What if husbands are singing that to their wives and wives to their husband, these truths? What if children are singing it to their siblings who they struggle to fight with, but they're singing, they're singing it with a mindset, I am singing to you. Or we sing these words, unto the grave, what shall we sing? As we go to the grave, Christ he lives, Christ he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. We need need to be singing that to each other. We need to sing words like, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. If you notice that a lot of our songs that we sing are actually addressed to one another, not to God. Truth that's anchored in the truth that God loves us in Christ Jesus, died on the cross for us, now makes promises to us, will never let us go, and we, for all of the time, we sing, what love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, this God counts not the sum. They're thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they're many. His mercy is more. What would happen if families who are sometimes fighting with each other, quarreling, struggling in relationship, they viewed every Sunday, I gotta sing, his mercy is more to my spouse, to my fellow member that I would naturally not get along with. 
I need to remind him, though your sins are many, his mercy is more. So that goes for me. So of course I have to forgive. So of course I am called to make peace with you. What if we sang to each other week by week these kinds of songs? To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night shall be won and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And what if we, week after week, sing, we need to sing words like this. My sin and your sin. Oh, the bliss of the glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, all of it, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. When I say we are to sing to each other, what if every Sunday we prepared our thoughts and our minds that I have a task to do among many things, it includes listening to God's word and fellowshipping, but one of it is when we sing, I'm going to pay attention to others, and I'm not, not as a, I'm holier than thou, I'm better than them, but God told me to minister to them with song, and so I better sing and I better sing with the type of heart that is ministering to them that's real. So I better pay attention to what is sung. What, what would happen if week after week, year after year, every member came in with that kind of mindset? What kind of song services would we have? Where we sing the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us, his forgiveness, his grace. When we sing about the character of God in his holiness, his love, his sovereignty, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, there for us is promises that never end. And what if we viewed it as our weekly job to do this? I look around, as I mentioned, that sometimes when I turn around on a Sunday morning, I'm immensely encouraged by you, and sometimes I'm immensely discouraged. <laughs> because some are... Can we get through, can we get through these songs? I just, I'm not pointing any fingers. And, and, so, and you know, I've probably been there too. I've probably been there too. And so it, it's natural. It's probably true of any church. I pray that we, if we all would come and say, I am not a spectator on a Sunday morning. But as this passage says, be filled with the Holy Spirit and you church, all of you, address one another in psalms, in hymns, sing the gospel to each other. Tell, as we're singing, marriages and parenting and families that could be in conflict are singing, his mercy is more. We, our hope springs eternal. It's going, he is loving us to the uttermost. How can I be at war with you? I must make peace with you because he loves me more than I could ever imagine. That's, that's, that's a job we are called to do every Sunday morning. And it, it can change our lives and marriages. It can change our homes. It can change our lives individually and in our neighborhood and in this congregation. The second thing that this passage says is we are to sing to the Lord because of the gospel. The first audience, and I'm not saying first is importance, but the first audience that he elicits is to one another, address one another. But surely that doesn't mean we just sing to one another. We sing to the Lord, and we see here that we are to sing to the Lord because of the gospel. Look at the second half of verse 19. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We are to sing not only to God and this morning, you'll see this, we sang before this, we sang two songs. The first song was a song that was to each other, all creatures of our God and King. Would you, would you make praise and worship? It was talking to each other. The second song we sang, Psalm 139, was a, a praise to God. And after this sermon this morning, we're going to sing a few more, and we're going to sing some that are to each other, addressing one another, and others that are addressing God and praying, talking to God himself. In this passage, he says, also, spirit-filled churches sing and make melody to the Lord with their heart. When we sing, we sing to the Lord. It is the Lord Jesus Christ 
from our heart, it means a sincerity of heart, not hypocrisy. It might mean that we come with emotional discouragement, but we come and we, we remember what he has done for us. And even though at the moment we don't fully feel the weight of all that he's done for us, we, with commitment and joy and commitment, declare to him his goodness. Oh, the word of God is filled with this call to Christians Let all who take refuge in God rejoice, Psalm 5. Let us sing for joy. Psalm 67, 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 95, 1 and 2, oh come, let us sing for joy. Let us make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We sing, yes, to bless others, but we sing to the Lord with all our hearts for what he has done for us. We sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. We sing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. We're going to sing that today. To worship you, oh, my soul rejoice. We sing, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing of my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of your grace. When I in awesome wonder consider all the the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Oh, we are to sing with all our heart to the Lord. That is one of our jobs to do. Needs, followers of Jesus who make it a priority to gather weekly, to sit in a room and do what the world thinks might be so bizarre because you just don't see it anywhere else. A bunch of Christians who are very different, who have been saved by his grace, singing like crazy to each other with such earnestness and truth and then singing to the Lord with all their heart. I grew up singing all the songs from old and new. I I sang and sang and sang at home and in church, but I never experienced it like I had when I went to seminary and I went to Bethlehem Baptist Church where John Piper was preaching and I went into the service and this was at a time when I was taught that you could, if you had drums, they were rebellious. And I was taught that any type of kind of expression of raising your hands or any moving of emotion was kind of like a show-off kind of thing. And you just didn't do that kind of thing. And I remember going into that service and, and, and the words were serious but joyful. They weren't glib and silly, but, but focusing on God and the way they pray, prayed was different the way that I ever prayed. It wasn't, it wasn't sing-songy and just like, oh yeah, they say that every time, it's a cliche, but they were focused on what God, on calling out to God. And then when they sang, oh, it was different for me. The music and the accompaniment was too contemporary to my, my experience. And at first it bothered me, but then I looked around and I saw a people so earnest towards God and to each other, so desiring to seek God with all of their heart. And they were doing this. What was that about? Is that a touchdown? I mean, and... And some were doing this. What does that mean? And, and at first I thought, that's kind of like show-off-y. And I saw a pastor doing that. And I'm like, what? And, and, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a different in my life. But over time I saw, and there was this, you don't have to raise your hands to worship with all your heart. You do not need to do that. But there is a clap your hands, all you people, in the Bible. There is, lift up your hands, O you people. There is a type of a bodily expression when our hearts are moved that we can't help. Making melody to the Lord and singing unto the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us and rose from the dead and never stops praying for us and promises things for us that will never end and it could not get better. It should cause us to sing that when someone comes in and might say, they're not lifting their hands, that doesn't matter, but they mean what they're singing. All I can say is they mean it when they say, holy, holy, holy. They mean it when they sing, how great thou art. They mean it when they say, come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing of your grace. 
Oh, that we would learn even more. It's a growing process to be a singing church, addressing one another with the gospel, praising God because of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Every Sunday I try to preach the gospel, no matter what text I'm preaching. I want us to point us to the good news of what Jesus has done, and I offer unbelievers to come and receive Christ by repenting and believing that Jesus did it, paid it all for them if they will repent and believe. That is a reason for us to sing for the rest of our lives, and we will for eternity. A spirit-filled church will sing songs They'll sing with joy. They'll sing and they'll want to sing more. They won't care about the clock. They won't care about anything. They will want to praise him with all their heart and make melody. They won't care if they're a singing person. They might say, I don't like to sing. You'll learn to sing. You'll learn to like to sing because if you don't like to sing, you don't like to do what God told you to like to do. And, and so, but we do that all the time. We have a lot of tastes that are not good. They could be shaped from different things. And we shape, we, we submit ourselves to what God has called us and we sing and make melody to the Lord. The third thing in this passage is spirit-filled churches give God thanks in all things because of the gospel. See verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives us another dimension of the spirit-filled life when he says, you might not be able to sing. We're going to be done singing in, in the next half hour, and then you won't have a gathering together to sing, but all week you have an opportunity to give thanks, always, at all times. This morning, and we need to be more intentional as pastors to lead our congregation in all types of thanksgivings to God because when we gather, a spirit-filled church is giving thanks to God the Father always. At you see what that means? We, if a people that give thanks to God always at all times, see those two alls? It's because they believe in the sovereignty of God. They believe God's in control, and they yield themselves to him. And they believe that God works all things for their good. And so they give thanks to God that they made it here on time, or they did made it here late, but they made it here alive, or they made it here with breath. And, they, and they, even though they might have a serious sickness, they're still here and they're saved. They learn to give thanks at all times that all things are working together for our salvation and our good and that not one hair will fall from our head apart from God's care. That means that every little detail of your life Every second of your life, if you're a Christian, he is not ignoring you, but working for your good. This means that the opposite of Murphy's Law works in your life. Murphy's Law is what can go wrong will go wrong. But if you're a Christian, because God has pledged himself through Jesus Christ... What can go right will go right every second of your life. You say, but it doesn't look like that. It doesn't feel like that. He is working every fabric of the garment of your life. He is working every second of that timetable of your life for you to enjoy him forever. And he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And he is working, sometimes afflicting, sometimes relieving sometimes blessing with earthly comforts, sometimes removing earthly comforts, but always, always presence. And he says a mark of God's people is thanking him, thanking him to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? It's not a, we tag in Jesus' name, I thank you, amen. It is a conscious remembrance Father, I thank you. And I actually get to address you as Father because Jesus died for me. Father, I come to you and I thank you, not because I am worthy, but because he is worthy for me. 
I come to you as a sinner who should never be able to come in the presence of a holy God, but I am forgiven because of Jesus. I come to you in prayer with thanksgiving, not because I presume that I have the right to ever talk to a sovereign God like you, but because you made promises in the name of Jesus that he is my mediator. He covers for me. He comes and he's my passport to you, God. And when you look at me, you love me. You like me. You delight in me. And you will not stop doing good for me because of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done for us, world without end. We give thanks in Jesus' name and that it will take not only a lifetime, it will take infinite eternity for us to appreciate how good he is. We will not know how good he is our first year in heaven. It will take eternity for us to see all the dimensions of his goodness. And we need to start thanking him now. That's the mark of God's people. The mark of unbelief is we don't give thanks to him. The mark of belief is in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not be anxious but in everything with prayer, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Let the word dwell in you richly, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Colossians 3 says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God in all things and give him thanks. The last thing, the last thing that a spirit-filled church does, a spirit-filled Christian does. He sings to each other the gospel and sings to God because of the gospel and he sing and he gives thanks to God because of the gospel and lastly submits. We submit ourselves to others because of the gospel. Friends, Verse 21 is there on purpose and is directly related to being filled with the Spirit, worshiping in song, and giving thanks. He says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word submitting is to arrange under, to come under the authority that God has put in our lives. And when we gather on Sunday mornings, we have opportunities to submit to one another. I think it means at least three things. It means when we gather on a Sunday morning, you're, gonna, you're submitting to me. Not to me and Daniel Pats in and of himself because I am not worthy of being submitted to in that name. But as a representative and a preacher of the gospel, you sit under my preaching. You say, I'm going to submit to Daniel's preaching to listen and be faithful and to discern is he faithful to God's word. And in not for his sake, but for the Lord's sake, and I will obey God's word. And I will submit myself to God's word as it's being preached and taught. That means I'm going to prioritize by being in God's word. And I'm going to come and sit under it. I'm going to take notes maybe. If that's what it takes to help you pay attention. It means at least that. It means that when Jay calls us to worship and sing, we submit ourselves by singing the songs even if they're not our favorite. Someone told me this week, music can be one of the most dividing things in churches. Music is the trouble all the time. You probably experienced division in church because of styles of music. I bet the songs we sang, some of you loved and some of you didn't love. That's going to probably happen almost every Sunday. We're going to find songs that are our preference, some songs that we've never heard, some songs that we need to learn, some songs that just don't seem to hit us right and it's just not our style. And I think one of the ways in which we submit is to one another is to learn to say, and this is something Pastor Jay and I try to work on, we try to sing new songs and old songs. Some of you have talked to us and we say, hey, we'd love to have some of these older songs and I'd love to hear what do you mean and what songs you're talking about. We want to have songs from past generations that some of you newer Christians have never heard and it might sound strange. And some of the songs that you'll hear are, are new and contemporary and you say, I grew up going to church for decades and I've never sung that song. That's hard for me to sing. I think submitting to one another and being spirit-filled is to come and say, I'm here to address one another and I'm here to sing and make melody to the Lord, giving thanks always 
and I'm going to submit to one another, and among many things, I'm going to submit with the style of songs that are chosen here, and I'm going to learn to like the songs that I don't naturally like, because I like the other people that like them a lot, and I love, and I love them. And I tell you what, I bet, it, I bet if you're sitting in this room, and there, there are some older here that we sing a song that you're like, that's hard for me to sing, and you look at them, and they just are loving it, and they're beaming, and you go... I'm going to like that song. I'm going to love that song. I'm going to commit myself to delighting because I love them and I want, to del- I want to together make melody to the Lord. And already so many of the, the elderly in this church submit to the younger and sing some other songs that they never sang even though they've been in church for decades as they learn to sing and make melody. It is a way for us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're going to submit to one another. We're going to sing in just a few minutes some songs to each other and to the Lord. We're going to sing, Is He Worthy? And in that song, we're talking to each other. So would you address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? in the ending part of this service. We're going to sing, Come the Fount of Every Blessing. It's a song to God. It's saying, God, would you come? It's addressing him, making melody in our hearts to God. We're going to sing, I love you, Lord. It is a mutual giving and submitting that takes place every Sunday morning. To say, I will learn to sing and sing heartily the songs that... Friends, I believe that the Spirit's work through the church and the gospel will have this kind of mindset. And when this mindset of, of Ephesians 5, 20, 18 through 21 takes place and we experience the joy and the Spirit-filled, wives will get empowerment to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Husbands will get empowerment to love their wives like Christ loved the church. Fathers will have be empowered to raise their kids and mothers to raise their kids and not provoke them to anger. Kids to obey and honor their parents. Those who are in the workplace serve those employees that are over them. Masters or just employers to treat and honor their employees as unto the Lord. Imagine a church where, where wives are singing to their husbands and husbands to their wives, his mercy is more, where children are calling out to their siblings to trust in him more, where fellow members are addressing one another, families worshiping together, praying and addressing one another, making melody to the Lord. Oh, that, peop- that people would walk through the doors that are visitors. And walk into this room and be blown away by a spirit, by the spirit. Filling us with love and grace that is rooted in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not so that we would look good and fill this room, but that they would experience the all praiseworthy, never stop giving thanks, creating a song in our heart kind of truth that can change them as well.